You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I think the Vancouver Canucks know that Pedersen is going to be very highly paid. Go beat the money! 3-2. That's hit a mile. High, deep, and long gone. Off the bat of Danny Jansen. Oh boy. There we go. To center. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Hopefully the dogs were okay with all the thunder and lightning that's out there. I know you guys don't like that by nature. I was a bit scared. Were you? Yeah. Was it a tough SkyTrain ride in this morning? Thunder? Lightning shooting down. It was. I had a blanket. <laughs> you might have to hit the brake a few times. I'll be hiding under the table. Did, <laughs> did you climb into your owner's bed? <laughs> I did, yes. Yeah. 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 Alfred and Brev in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by Johnstone's Barbecues. You don't pay more to shop with the experts at Johnstone's Barbecues. They're open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit them online at johnstones.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. I can feel it on the horizon. The weather's starting to change. Mm. News is starting to pick up. Kids are a week away from being back in school. Could only mean one thing. The real sports season is about to begin here. Could only mean one thing. Canada, Latvia, basketball. 28 minutes away. <laughs> 28 minutes away. You see, France went out this morning and dis- or overnight, wherever it is in Jakarta, I don't know. But um, they decided to salvage their reputations by barely squeaking past Lebanon. <laughs> Barely. What a what a disaster yeah. of a tournament for them. That's I don't even know how they go home. Probably on a plane, but right. I digress. Okay. Uh, guest list today. I'm really excited for a few of our guests. Beginning at 6.30, James Sharman is going to join us. He of Room 442 and Footy Prime. Uh, soccer analyst here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Now, we booked Sharman yesterday when our show finished. Unbeknownst that a few hours later... John Herdman would leave his post as Canadian men's national team manager and take the job at TFC. Herdman loves going to rebuilding programs, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Yeah, lots of questions following this. Uh, Number one question is, why did he do it? Like, specifically, what was the biggest reason he did it? And then a bunch of other ones, maybe even bigger than that one, actually. Uh, Like, who's going to replace him? And is this going to help or hurt the program? Yeah. Um, we got a <laughs> host in a World Cup. Well, that's in three years. See, that's going to be the dangling <laughs> carrot for the new gaffers. Hey, look, you're going to get to manage at a World Cup. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the non-dangling carrot is the lack of money they have to pay <laughs> the new manager. <laughs> the stick. Yeah. Basically, you, you actually get, you have to eat the carrot. It's the only way we can provide nutrition. So, 6:30, James Sharman is going to join us for a little footy talk. 
here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, 7 o'clock, Randy Mueller is going to join the program. He is the former general manager of the New Orleans Saints and Miami Dolphins. He's now the director of player personnel with the XFL Seattle Sea Dragons. He also used to work for the Seahawks in a player personnel role. Uh, we're bringing Randy on the show uh, for his experiences as an executive because today is NFL Cut Day. And unfortunately, one of the guys that is officially going to be cut today is Nathan Rourke of the BC Lions, which we will get into later in the show. That's right. If you're hearing this for the first time, Jacksonville is waving Nathan Rourke. So we're going to talk to Randy Mueller at 7 o'clock about that. 7.30, Ian Furness is going to join the program. Uh, Ian Furness, of course, from KJR Sports Radio in Seattle. We will talk to him about the red-hot Seattle Mariners. We'll talk to him about the Seahawks, who are now just a week away from the start of the NFL season, and so on and so forth. 8 o'clock, Tyler Uremchuk is going to join us. Oilers Nation, daily face-off. He's going to join us to talk about news out of Edmonton with regards to PTOs for Sam Gagne. And former Canuck Brandon Sutter will also talk to him. I guess former Canuck Sam Gagne as well. Right. We'll also talk to him about... Trigger trigger man on the power play, remember? Yeah, the the bumper spot. I remember that. No, he didn't play the bumper spot. No, what did he play? He played the The point. point. Yeah, that's right. God, that was... And it was like, put him in the bumper spot. (laughs) That was right. He had a spot. And they're like, no, no. (laughs) We're going to put him on a different one. Anyway, uh, Tyler Uramchuk is going to join us. We'll also talk about the Connor McDavid uh, comments in that interview with Mark Spector over a week ago. Well, I, I also, too, want to talk to him about just about... The expectations in Edmonton. Don't forget, this is the team that the Canucks play twice to start the season. First in Vancouver, assuming the scoreboard is hang is hung, uh-huh. oh. uh, hung, yeah. hanged. Uh, the uh, and then again in Edmonton on the start of their five game road trip. So the Edmonton Oilers could very well frame how the Canucks start their season, and this is a team that is not very happy. Uh, about getting eliminated by Vegas, mm-hmm. and I have a feeling they're going to come into this season hot. So uh, working in reverse on the guest list, 8 o'clock, Tyler Uremchuk to talk some Oilers, 7.30, Ian Furness from Seattle, 7 o'clock, uh, former Saints and Dolphins GM Randy Mueller, and at 6.30, it's James Sharman for a little footy talk. So not only did the stream not work this morning, we also were not streaming online either. I'm putting this on the weather, by the way. You guys were just rattled by the thunder and lightning. We're all yeah, good yeah, now. Yeah. Are we smooth? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we're just streaming online. It was yeah. just a little hiccup at the beginning there. Just yeah, a little the, hiccup the, that the caused th- 500 people to text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Yep. Just whole, a little hiccup. Yep. The only thing that gets people's attention more is when I talk on the hot mic, which will also happen today. I can mm-hmm. almost guarantee it. Anyway, got a big show ahead. Without any further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Are we starting with Herdman? Are we starting with Herdman? I think so. I feel like we got to start with Herdman. John Herdman, uh, who (laughs) he is the most decorated, most celebrated, and best manager in Canadian national team soccer history because of his work with the men and the women's team. He's now left the national program entirely to take the head gig with lowly Toronto FC. That was announced on Monday, just hours after we got off the air. Uh, longtime assistant Mauro Biello will take over on an interim basis, and he won't have much to do because the Canadian men's national team won't play a game again until a friendly later in October 
against Japan, if I'm not mistaken. So all Morobiello has to do is inherit this team temporarily that doesn't have any games to play. And quite frankly, I don't think has a lot of direction right now. Uh-oh. John Herdman left. He took a job at TFC with a an organization in MLS that is at rock bottom right now. Like, I know it's a big managerial gig in North America. I know there's only a handful of those gigs available. But it's not like Herdman took it to go coach Messi at Inter-Miami. When is this press conference? Do you know? I am unsure. Okay. I imagine it will be tomorrow, today, or the day after. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thanks no, for you're narrowing, welcome. Narrowing you're welcome. It's you're probably welcome. like four days from now. It's probably next week. Um, so why did he do it? Um, well, MLSE owns TFC, so uh, I'm, I'm sure they uh, paid him a fairly handsome salary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder how much of it was just him frustrated with the situation with Canada soccer or maybe just him personally needing a change. Like people will be like, how could you do that when you're hosting a world cup? And he may, might be like, well, I went to the world cup, mm-hmm. right? Like I experienced it and it, and it went great. He right? al- Remember how awesome it went. He also may not see himself surviving till the next world cup. That this might may, be one. They, this may have been a preventative move on his part. Look, this is the, Joshua Cloak of the Athletic, who we've had on the show before and who was the first one to break this news yesterday, said this this was the worst kept secret mm-hmm. in soccer circles in Canada. Everyone knew this was going to happen. And Herdman had been sort of painting the outlines of his exit, sketching it, if you will, yeah. for the better part of two or three months. There was that brief flirtation with the New Zealand mm-hmm. job, the All Whites, which is people were like, you're going to leave Canada for New Zealand. He said, no, yeah. you're going to leave should... Canada for TFC. Also, you shouldn't call it the All Whites. Right. I mean, that's a team name. It's not, I don't I don't make these things up. I just read the news like Ron Burgundy. But um, <laughs> the larger thing here is that after that, in which he kind of repledged his allegiance to Canada, then you had the second phase of his exodus, which was openly airing his displeasure and openly airing the dirty laundry about lack of resources, lack yeah. of funding, lack of everything. And he, I think the, the final nail in the coffin, for him anyway, was when he said that we need to get serious. I wonder, during those two tournaments, it was the CONCACAF uh, Nations League, right? Nations League and, and the Gold, Gold Cup. Cup. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he knew during those tournaments that he was leaving. Probably. And if it is, I will give him some credit because he did make the Gold Cup about um, playing new players and finding the next generation. And I guess it could be seen if you're the biggest optimist on the planet, of him passing the torch to whoever takes the gig next, that, look, we've got some good young players that we've got some international experience. Well, I would, I would more luck at it if he knew that, that it was his way of actually helping the next coach by kind of taking the bullets and being willing to say, hey, listen, we, we, we got to get serious here. Sure. So that the new guy doesn't have to come in yeah. and piss off anyone, any of his bosses at Canada Soccer. I'll be really curious to learn more about this. I don't know how much we're going to learn in the John Herdman press conference, but maybe someone, hopefully some reporters are going to dig into this. Well, what's another question you'd have? Uh, just the timing of when he knew. And why? The biggest one was like why he left. Because if he left because he didn't feel that there were enough resources for the Canadian national team, if he felt that that was like truly a roadblock, mm-hmm then it's going to be a roadblock for the next guy. Sure. And I do think that's because, a part of it. Because, again, we how many times have we been through this, right? Like The revenue model for Canada soccer is in trouble mm-hmm. because Canada soccer business 
only gives them a set amount. Yeah. Right. I- like there's no, there's no way for them to raise more. Now there had been talk about revisiting that deal, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know where that is. It's kind of like, like, hey, where's the Hockey Canada report? Right. That we, you know, that we've been Still promised is. for. I was reading this interview with Bill Daly. Um, I think it was with Mike Russo of the Athletic. He's like, it's coming soon. You're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what you said a long time ago. So with Canada Soccer, when are they going to revisit this business model? What, how how are we as Canadians, who um, taxpayers are going to be forking out a little bit for this World Cup, right? whether it's city, provincial, federal, whatever, right? To host this thing, to provide security. And I know there are going to be some gains from it, but I personally would like to know that we're hosting the World Cup. It's a massive deal. And I would like to know that our national team that is going to be part of that has most of what it needs. Maybe not everything. Like I'm not, I don't want England funding, for I don't I don't demand England funding or you know that that sort of level for the men's soccer team, but I would like to know that they're like, well we can afford to play friendlies or I we can afford to practice and we can afford to bring in all the resources we need to give this team the best chance of not winning the World Cup but you know representing itself the way we as Canadians want them to. So James Sharman's going to join us at 6.30 to discuss all of this. He was very busy yesterday doing the media rounds because everyone wanted to get answers to the questions like the one Jason was posing here. But as we move along for what happened, we're going to stick with the Canadian content, but it's not going to be a positive story. Uh, John Herdman one wasn't really great either. This is not a great development. Um, The rumblings were out there for a while, and my naivete aside, I guess I should have seen the writing on the wall a little more clear because Canadian quarterback and former BC Lions signal caller Nathan Rourke has been waived by the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is per multiple sources. The news will be made official today because today is NFL roster cutdown day. It's a big day to get your house in order, get to the 53-man roster, maybe try and pick some other people up like Nathan Rourke, but... The decision to waive him comes after an incredibly good preseason. Maybe one of the best preseasons in the NFL by a quarterback. Yeah, but he's the third quarterback. So if they need to get someone else on the roster that they feel is going to be more important to the team, then they're going to do it. He's still Nathan Work, the guy from the CFL. If they lose him on waivers, they'll be disappointed, I'm sure. But they're going to survive. (laughs) Trevor Lawrence is their guy. If they're at the point where they're playing, where where the backup quarterback matters anyway, if they're playing C.J. Beathard or Nathan Rourke, something has gone horribly wrong for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So as important as it is to Canadian football fans and Canadian sports fans, what happens to Nathan Rourke, it really isn't for the Jacksonville Jaguars. It just isn't. Now, will he get picked up by someone? Uh, I know some of the CFL hardcores were talking about maybe the Buffalo Bills picking a, picking him up. I, I have no idea who the backup to Josh Allen is in Buffalo. I, I don't know the backups for I don't know the third string quarterbacks for everyone in in the NFL. Like th- this is just this is what happens when you go from a big fish in a small pond, which was Nathan Work last year in the CFL, uh, down to the NFL where there's a lot of talent and. There are a lot of politics, right? There, there are um, relationship, previous relationships that, that teams will have with, with players. Um, there's the fact that Nathan Rourke has 
zero regular season experience in the NFL and say what you will about C.J. Beathard. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup, but he's played in the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. And when he goes to that team, like I I know you were talking about like, well, Nathan Rourke made the big decision to sign with Jacksonville. You thought, we we thought, well, at least he's going to have a shot at competing for the backup role. Mm -hmm. But that was before C.J. Beathard signed. Yeah. What do you think C.J. Beathard's conversations with uh, Jacksonville were? What if he? What if he had another team interested in him, and he goes to Jacksonville, and he's like, "I'm competing with a CFL guy here. Mm-hmm. I'm not signing then." And they'll be like, "Okay, you're the number the, two guy." The, right? the rare time in CJ Beathard's career where he can big time someone. Yeah, no, yeah, I yeah, get yeah. it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, a dog has a Nathan Rourke update. This is this is why I was rooting for him. This is why I was cheering for him. What a nice fella. Now, can you explain what's going on here, Andy? Oh well, yeah, he just texted me back. Just literally a second ago, mm-hmm. I said sorry. It's not the right time, but thanks for reaching out. See what a nice guy. We tried to get him on the show. He's incredibly polite. Yeah. Well, we were supposed to have Curtis Rourke, his brother. Yeah. On the so show. I tried today. the second Rourke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Curtis, are all the Rourke. Well, yeah. I asked Nathan, "Do you have another brother I can talk to?" It's actually, uh, it's actually um, not not super tough. I mean, it's it's uh, the, the the Rourkes are going through some challenges right now. Nathan Rourke trying to figure out which team he's going to play for. Um, and Curtis Rourke, his brother, um, who's coming off an injury. Yes. He is just, did, did he pick up another injury? Potentially. They okay. They seem to be treating him with the kid gloves at Ohio. Not Ohio mm. State University, just Ohio University. Curtis Rourke actually yeah, gets quite a, quite a bit of attention um, in college football circles. Right? Yeah. Like, a- anytime there's, I know he plays for Ohio. Mm-hmm. And people would be like, well, whatever, he plays for Ohio. Like quarterbacks Mac, can, baby. But quarterbacks can come out of anywhere, yeah. right? Um, like North Dakota State. And we talked about the top quarterbacks um, that might be – teams might be looking at to draft. Um, you know, it's Caleb Williams out of uh, USC and Michael Penix out of UW. And there's a couple of others. But Curtis Rourke is, is getting scouted pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that his brother – went to uh, the Jags, and he, even though he might, might might not make the team, he didn't look out of place, and in fact, he made a spectacular play. More people are going to be like, oh, okay, well, let's look at Curtis Rourke. Yeah. And apparently with Curtis Rourke, um, he has a better arm than Nathan Rourke, mm-hmm. but Nathan Rourke is the more um, – Mobile. Mobile guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think Curtis might be a little bit bigger. He's a little five. beefier. He's 6'5". Yeah, 6'5", right? Yeah. People are going to look at that. So to answer some of the questions that were coming in on this, and Andy asked me before the show, he's like, well, do you think Nathan Rourke will return to the CFL or maybe the BC Lions? Quick answer, no. There's still way too much money, even on the practice squad, for him to consider coming back. To put this in perspective, uh, I last last check, you make $12,000 a week on an NFL practice roster by average. Now, they could pay Rourke more if they so choose because you can also carry a third quarterback on your 53-man roster on game days yeah. in the event that something happens like what happened with the 49ers in the playoffs last year where it's mm-hmm. like, Christian McCaffrey, you're now our quarterback. Like They don't want that to happen again. Guys, he's, this is something he said, so let's listen to his words. He's chasing his dream. His dream is to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. If that hurts your feelings that his dream wasn't to play in the CFL, so be it. Your feelings are hurt. Mm-hmm. His dream is to play in the NFL. And he's only just started. Even being on a practice squad, maybe that's just step one for him. He is going to focus 
on the NFL. He is still young. He can come back to the CFL anytime. But right now, his focus is in the NFL, even if he's on the practice squad. More Canadian content here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 and more of the not-so-positive variety. Monday was not a good day for Canadian men at the U.S. Open. Milos Raonic, he was always going to be in tough, taking on Stefano Sissipas. By the way, if you'd like to see Sissipas in action, you can at the Labor Cup in Vancouver uh, later this fall. Uh, Milos a couple of moments. From, he's now 32 years old. That makes me feel old, even though that's not that old. 6'2", uh, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, six, against Sissipas. So he's out. The bigger story, and I kind of buried the lead here, is that the Halford and Bruff jinx appears to be very much alive because we spoke with Felix Auger-Aliassime uh, a couple months ago, kind of in anticipation of the Labor Cup, and he's lost a whole bunch of tennis matches since talking to us. I can't say those two are related, but they very well might be. We have a tendency to jinx things. He gets dumped yesterday to American Mackenzie McDonald, who sounds like a folk singer. Uh, it, another early exit from a significant tournament. Felix said that he felt like his health was turning a corner in a good way, mm-hmm. but his tennis is not turning a corner in a good way. Yeah, and he's he's going to be one of the star attractions for the upcoming Laver Cup. Along with Stefano Sissipas. At, at Rogers Arena. Um, yeah, I, I feel bad for him. It's I don't, I don't know what's what's bugging him, but... Yeah, hasn't won very much in the last little while. Well, he's he's at the point where his pressers now are him talking about, uh, I, like, I was born for this. I'm not going to let this completely derail me. I know I just got to figure some things out. So he's very acutely aware that he's not just in a slump. Like, he's not getting out of the first round of any tournament right now. Yeah. And he's losing to, honestly, a lot of American guys that are ranked in the hundreds. Like, it's not. What, what was the guy he, he lost to? Uh, that was Mackenzie McDonald. He sounds like a Canadian. Like I said, he sounded like a folk singer. He sounds like two Canadians, Mackenzie and McDonald. It's true. Double the Canadian, only American. Mac Mac. Mac Mac. Yeah. So it's not great for Felix right now. He's in a bad way. Uh, who's not in a bad way? The Toronto Blue Jays. Laddie was happy. He was trying to find all the audio from the Jays game yesterday because Vladdy Guerrero did something and the Jays won a game. Now, here's the thing, and you can take this into next season. The Jays' secret success, secret recipe for winning is don't play any games in the AL East and play all your games against the National League mm-hmm. because the Jays crush it in interleague play. They're 27 and 14. Playing really bad teams also helps. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, uh, that's, uh, that, yeah, that's good. Two strategies is yeah, only yeah, yeah. play bad teams. But uh, Danny Jansen, Homer, scored three runs. I mentioned Vladdy. Uh, he drove in a pair. So the Jays get a much-needed victory. 6-3 over the Nats. So the Jays were missing uh, Bichette and Chapman. Yep. Um, Bichette's not on the injured list, da- right? Davis Schneider and Ernie Clement left side of the infield for the Blue Jays, just as awesome. we all predicted. It looked awesome. There is talk that maybe Vladdy might play third. He was taking some grounders. It's like an emergency scenario it would <laughs> yeah. have to be. but Yeah. yeah. Uh, so how do you think Bichette will be back in a couple of days and Chapman will be a little longer? Last word was they're still doing tests on Bichette, so I'm holding my breath. But, yeah, Chapman, I think it's his finger again, they said. So he, he just missed some time, and it looks like it might be a little bit longer. Schneider's played third before, though, coming up. So I'm, I'm not overly worried there, but... The Bichette one has me a little worried. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff.
Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. What an ex- another excellent guest lineup today on the Halford and Bruff show. I thought James Sharman at 630 was excellent, mm-hmm. breaking down John Herdman's departure from the Canadian men's national soccer team. I thought Randy Mueller at 7 o'clock was fantastic. Former general manager of the Miami Dolphins and the New Orleans Saints. A lot of pressure on the next guy. Very excited for our next guest. Uh, you've heard him on multiple shows in here in British Columbia and, of course, on uh, KGR Sports Radio in Seattle. He joins us now, Ian Furness, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Ian. How are you? I'm good. A fan, following Randy's a hard, uh, that's a hard act to follow. He's really good. We love Randy down here. I was going to say, you must be pretty familiar with his work. He mentioned he was with the Seattle Seahawks for an awfully long time and now with the XFL's Seattle Sea Dragons. Was he, he was around during the Rick Meyer era. Like he was involved in that trade or deal, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah. 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 He was here. He started, he's a great story. Started as a, played small college football and started as a ball boy and worked his way up. And yeah, man, he's a, uh, we, we, Randy's a smart dude. I'm not sure about his XFL decisions. That's, <laughs> I guess he wants to keep his finger in the hand in the game, but uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good one. Uh, let's turn our attention now to another Seattle sports team, the Seattle Mariners who are just on fire right now and have been on fire for the better part of two and a half months. So I'm kind of gone beyond calling it a hot streak or a run. Like this is, this is a pretty large sample size. Are the Mariners the best team in the American League right now? Well, they're playing like it. Uh, it helps who they're playing. There's no doubt. I mean, when you get Kansas City uh, for a couple series, you get Oakland in there, uh, that, that definitely does help. Um, you know, the only series they've lost in the last month is, is uh, to Baltimore. And, you know, obviously Baltimore would be in that conversation too. Baltimore's probably the one team that can match their bullpen, uh, maybe even be a little bit better in the bullpen in Seattle. But, I mean, Julio Rodriguez is on such a heater; it's crazy. Uh, you know, I mean, they got they got 20 wins in August to the Mariners. I mean, they're just they're just flying right now. And so, uh, I think you know their starting pitching one through three is fantastic. You know, their number five starter last night, Ryan Wu, got the got a shutout. So, you know, that's a nice positive sign. They're going to run out of innings for him pretty soon. But you know, when you go Castillo. Uh, Kirby and Gilbert, one, two, three in your rotation. You're a hard team to beat. And the offense has finally caught up to the pitching staff. And I think that's why we're seeing what's going on right now with this team. And, and at 75 and 56, and one game up in, in the American League West, they're in a pretty good situation. They're going to have a heck of a stretch at the end of September because they basically, the Houston, Seattle, and Texas all kind of play one another in the final week and a half of the season. So that's going to be – that'll be the telltale sign. But Seattle kind of needs to build up a little bit of a, a cushion, I think, because uh, it does get tough down the stretch. Uh, I was going to ask you, can you put into words what Julio's doing right now? But you did. You said it's crazy. Like, you've seen guys burst onto the scene with the Mariners and electrify the crowd, like Ken Griffey Jr. and each role, though he was later uh, – older in age and later in his career. But, I mean, this is – the hottest team in baseball. This is the you know the the Mariners haven't had this kind of lead in the division this late in the season. I think since two thousand and three, and it's uh, you know not all on the back of Julio, but the amount and quality of hitting. I don't want to say it's unprecedented in Seattle, but it's definitely a special thing to watch. 
Well, I think it, yeah, it, it might be unprecedented in the sense that um, where he's out, right, he, he's just kind of the guy that makes everything else go. And, you know, because of his, I don't think, you know, Hernandez would be hitting like he is right now or Ty France coming on like he is or uh, or even JP or anybody else without the fact that Julio's kind of carrying this thing. He's, he's 22 years old. Amazing thing, guys, he's 22. Um, and yet he plays the game with both a joy and a confidence that's that's really fun to see. And, I mean, he's just the, – the heater he's on right now, I mean, three straight games with two-plus RBIs. You know, he's got 153 hits on the season. He leads the American League in hits now, which is crazy because of the All-Star break. And when he got named as a replacement on the All-Star team, everyone was like, yeah, that's nice because it's a home team. And really probably didn't – and frankly probably didn't deserve it. And, and what he's done since then has been remarkable. Um, I, I, you know, he plays a great center field as well. You know, everyone wants to make comparisons to, to Junior and, and, and others, but, you know, he's his own person. He really is. Um, you know, we haven't seen this in Seattle because he hits for, you know, I think he's got the ability uh, maybe to hit for a little bit better average than Junior did. I mean, Junior's swing was just sweet, and, and you know, like I, I never take a shot at this guy. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? But But Julio has... You know some of the same characteristics. I think he works harder off the field. In fact, I know I know he works harder off the field because I was around when Junior was here. Um, Julio is just a special, special player, and you know it's fun to watch. I, not every guy that comes up, ha, you know, lives up to the hype. It's I mean, listen, in any sport, right? I mean, you guys know this as well as anybody. You know, hockey included, right? Not not many guys live up to the hype. Uh, in his first, you know, full season and two thirds, this guy's more than lived up to the hype, which is pretty exciting. Uh, are the Seahawks and the Huskies getting a little bit jealous of all the attention that the Mariners are getting? Because the the Seahawks and well, the Huskies kick off this weekend, and uh, I just wonder what where the minds of the Seattle sports fan is right now. Well, I'm a Cougar, so I I couldn't care less about the Huskies. So they can pound sand. But uh, um, I feel, the, I feel uh, by the way, uh, my condolences. I I feel yeah, bad for what Cougs. Uh, yeah, it's are been a rough right go now. down here. It's been a rough go. Uh, no, I mean, Washington. Listen, I got a Heisman vote, so I got to pay attention. Uh, you know, Michael Penix is special, and and uh, they play Boise State this weekend. It is weird. Um, you know, we're. We are very. We were. We are talking about this on the radio yesterday. We're not used to multitasking down here. You know, it's like if if the Mariners. You know, well, it hasn't been often that they've been good. I mean, you just mentioned it. The numbers crazy. The last time they were in first place, it's late in in the season was 2003, so uh, 20 years ago. But you know, we're not used to multitasking. Usually, if the Seahawks are good, the Mariners aren't, or vice versa. Huskies kind of hit or miss. So now, you know, you got a top 10 college football team and you've got uh, an NFL team that's got high expectations this season. I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, this is a little bit, you know, into the weeds a little bit. It's still nuts. Like the Seahawks played a preseason game on Saturday and they played it at 10 in the morning. They were in Green Bay, their last preseason game, and you couldn't find a more meaningless game than that, unless you're talking about two or three guys that were on the fringe, you know, on the bubble, so to speak, that cut down days today. Mariners played at one that day. Uh, so it's not apples to apples, but if you just look at the television numbers, the Seahawks more than basically tripled what the TV numbers were, the Seahawks did what the Mariners did that day. Um, right. We're still a Seahawks-centric town. They still bring in more of the fringe fan. Now, if you get to the postseason to the Mariners, then, then obviously things change. We're seeing a lot of people. They had a great crowd. They had 37,000 last night for a Monday against 
uh, a triple A. I don't even know if they're a triple A team, more like a double A team in Oakland. So, <laughs> you know, we're we're trying to get used to all of that. And, and we saw it last year with the Kraken when they got to the postseason. I mean, the TV and the radio numbers went through the roof. Uh, it took a, it took a postseason to kind of get everybody on board with that. So, uh, we're we're all trying to learn how to multitask here. It's not something we're used to. That's for sure. What has been the biggest story of the Seahawks preseason and heading into the regular season? Uh, I, well, one of them has been injuries, and, and nothing catastrophic, but they've got they've just got a lot of guys banged up. Um, you know, I think you know, six of their ten draft picks uh, didn't play the last couple preseason games, and um, you know they're getting a couple guys back from you know long term injuries last year. Jordan Brooks, their starting linebacker, is practicing full. He should be ready for the opener. Jamal Adams is off the off the PUP list, which is a form of an injured list, I guess, um, and. You know, but then they've got a lot of guys are just you know banged up a little bit. So I think there's still some unknowns. Can they stop the run? You know, and and that's probably the top of the list. Uh, who are the you know with the third wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba, their second first round pick. You know, he looks sensational in camp and and the first couple preseason games, and then he had to have wrist surgery because he broke his wrist falling down after a long catch. So who's the third receiver? Uh, you know, and and there's a lot of little things like that. Um, but it hasn't been a ton of drama. You know, last year we had a so-called quarterback competition that never was with Gino and, and Drew Locke. But it's, yeah, I think it's just more like, hey, let's get to the season and see, can they stop the run? Is the middle of their offensive line better? Uh, they've got some depth in the secondary. They've got, you know, when and Jig was back, they're really good one, two, three wide receiver. They've got depth at running back if everyone's healthy. So mm-hmm. I think people just kind of want to see what this team's all about and have they taken strides and steps forward. Because, again, they're a playoff team last year. San Francisco's really scary good. Uh, it feels like it's a two-team race in the NFC West, and and we'll see. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's been kind of a – I mean, honestly, I don't want to say boring, but in a sense it's been kind of a quiet, boring training camp, which, you know, not with a lot, not filled with a lot of drama, which isn't the worst thing in the world for those of us having to cover it every day. Yeah, Sunday, September 10th. So we still got to wait a little while for the yeah. Seahawks to kick off. They're five-point favorites at home over the Rams, so hopefully they can get off to a good start. Um, this is, might be a question a bit out of left field, but I wonder if you've thought about it at all. Since the Huskies are going to the Big Ten, the Big Ten is pretty into hockey as well. Has there ever been any talk of the Huskies getting a Division One hockey team? I know they have a club team, but I right. wonder about hockey at the Division One level at UW. Uh, there hasn't been, it's an interesting question. I had not thought about it, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a, you know, it's a strong conference in that regard. I, I don't, I can't see it happening. I, first of all, like, you know, where would they play? Um, I guess you could maybe make a, make a case for climate pledge, but don't, I think those teams usually play what three games and three nights at home or something yeah. like that. Um, I, I, I can't that would imagine be too big for them, I think. Yeah, I I just I think facility wise, I mean they could certainly practice. Their, you know, uh, Washington's campus is really close to the the Kraken practice rink at Northgate. Um, it's probably about 15 minutes away, so you could you your practice facility could be there. Hell, I guess if uh, you'd have to have a bigger rink, I think that holds like 1,200. So um, yeah, I, I don't so- know. I can't see it. You know, one of the issues that that they're going to run into is finances. Yeah. Um, they're taking a reduced rate in terms of the media rights deal to play in the Big Ten the first, during this TV contract, this media rights deal. So uh, adding sports has really never been talked about. And if and here's the problem. 
fellows, if you add a sport, there's a thing called Title IX in the States. You have to match uh, every men's athletic scholarship with a female one. Mm -hmm. So if they were to ever add hockey, you'd have to add women's hockey as well. And and I'm sure just the expenses would be through the roof. And, and again, I just don't see a facility for them to play at it. Kent's really far away where the T-Birds play. Um, Same with Everett. Um, Again, they could probably, you know... uh, the way we work down here, I mean, the WNBA team doesn't have to pay rent at Climate Pledge Arena, so maybe if they added a women's team. I'd say, I'd say a women's team is a lot more likely than a men's team. I Actually, i go to that because they'd probably let them play there for free. Sure, yeah. Um, but I, I'd still I, – I can't see that happening. I'd really be surprised. We, we just had a few people text into the show uh, wondering about that, and I kind of wonder – in Canada, every time there's, like, news, they're like, how is this hockey related, right? So – well, uh, you know, and- that's interesting. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, USC and UCLA are never going to have a team. Um, you know, Oregon's, I guess, their travel partner now for the Big Ten. I, I can't <laughs> see anything happening because Eugene, they have, you know, they don't have anything down there yeah. rink-wise in Eugene. Um, they're too far from Portland. You know, the junior teams do so well here that, I, you know, I, I just I can't see that working. Um, such a different game in a sense, too. Um, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, I... I, I, the, actually, the more I think about it, a women's team would certainly make more sense than a men's team. Um, you know, if you had, but again, you have to match scholarships with the Title IX, so I, I can't. I just think it would be a hard one. The women's team, I could see doing though. I, I'd say it's far more likely you have women's hockey than men's hockey ever at UW, and and then, but then you'd have to have Oregon probably join the fray, and and they just don't have a facility down there. So I'm probably preaching to the choir here, considering you're a Washington State alumnus, but. Doesn't this college shakeup stink? Like everything. Like is Stanford going into the ACC? Like what the hell is going on here? It just seems like a complete mess, and everything before seemed to make sense. Now nothing makes sense outside of you know we want money. Well, the beautiful thing about college sports used to be the geography, right, and the, and the geographical rivals, and that means nothing now. Um, tradition and history mean nothing. It, it you know it's kind of laughable. When, you know, on the day that they announced that and, and now the former athletic director at Washington get up, got up there and talked about, you know, rivalries and tradition and, you know, that kind of stuff. She talked about the Apple Cup and, you know, I mean, Wazoo just, you know, basically gave her the middle finger and said, you can go pound sand. I mean, you know, um, with, with your disingenuous, condescending comments. And it's just we're chasing money. Um, absolutely flat-out chasing money. And it started with USC and UCLA, but really this, the, the Pac-12 disintegrated with, with um, when they expanded in 2011 and they did their own TV network and they didn't partner with, I guess, for Canadian viewers. It'd be like if, if, you, just start, if you had a you know, whatever league and you decided that you're just going to go at it alone and you're not going to partner with either TSN or Sportsnet, and see if you can get any kind of distribution on television. Good luck, and that's what the Pac-12 did. And it never, they never could recover from that. And they got a little greedy. They thought they were worth more than they were, and and it was probably destined to end. Now you look back on it. I mean, history will tell us there was a lot of warning signs, and and then everyone was just kind of out to save their own backside. Like, you know, how can we save ourselves? How can we go out and make sure we survive? And and that's what they did. And you know, USC and UCLA were the first to jump. Um, you know, Colorado, which has been the most abysmal football program, and it's not going to get better despite the hype about Dion. Uh, it's, it's, they, they are the next ones to jump, but they jumped back to a conference they, were, they started and they were part of for 30 years. That made sense. The, the, the final straw when they couldn't get a TV deal done that was, that was good, 
everyone else just started looking how they could find a lifeboat, and, and that's what they did. And Wazoo and Oregon State were left on the sideline, which is odd because, you know, you hear stupid comments all the time from people saying, well, you know, it's because Washington State and Oregon State are, you know, they're in small markets in Corvallis and Pullman. Well, yeah, but the TV markets that they serve are Seattle and Portland. Yeah. Like, give your head a shake. Like, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's frustrating. It's sad. Um, you know, seeing Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC, how does that make sense? Like, it's just, it's just, it's, it's really sad. It really is, man. I love college football. I love college sports. And, and uh, I, I think we're going to see a reset, but it won't happen for another six or seven years when these media rights deals are done. Half the geography in my head I learned from watching college football. I'm like, where is Tuscaloosa anyway, right? Like that sort of stuff. You learn that stuff watching it on TV and you learn about the traditions and the traditions are, I don't know, hopefully some new ones will be get, will be yeah, done. I, but I, can't I, left- wait for the, I can't wait for the traditional Cal Berkeley Bears against a North Carolina State matchup. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Well, when Rutgers plays the Huskies, I like, I'm, you know, that's, that's appointment TV for me. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, and Rutgers and Maryland in the Big Ten, you know, they, they joined a few years ago. Yeah. Like, how, that made no sense, but they wanted to get those markets, those TV markets. They wanted to get New York, New Jersey, and, and they wanted to get, you know, the, the greater, you know, Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. The funny thing is, if nobody cares about the teams, and what is, how does the market matter? That's, that's the thing with the Bay Area teams. I mean, you know, five people go to games at Stanford, and, <laughs> and maybe six go at Cal. Um, you know, they have no value in their own market, but yet somebody thinks they do, and that's a funny one, guys, real quick, is that Stanford's uh, non-revenue sports, i.e. the female sports, they are so good. Like, their volleyball team's ranked number two. Their soccer team's in the top five. Their basketball team is a perennial powerhouse every year. The, the, the holdup right now is that the coaches in the ACC, they want no part of the, you know, for the non they don't care about football because they'll beat the hell out of those teams in football because Cal and Stanford are awful in football. Uh, and they're both awful in men's basketball. But the non-revenue sports, they're, especially Stanford's a powerhouse. And so there's a lot of pressure from the, the female, uh, the coaches for the female non-revenue sports in the ACC. They want no part of Stanford coming in. So it, it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, they don't want those teams because they're really good every yeah. year, year in and year out. And then all of a sudden you're talking about teams that are going to fly commercial across the country and everything. It just it makes no sense, fellas. It makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, let's do a couple minutes on the Kraken. What was their biggest move of the offseason? Uh, getting Barkovsky uh, healthy, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, they, they brought in a third-pair defenseman from Pittsburgh that, I mean, I'd still rather see Riker Evans in that role. You guys – guys got Carson Soucy up there. I mean, that's just kind of a, I mean, Seuss was a, he was a third pair guy here. Um, so, you know, they were going to move on from him anyway with Evans ready to go. And the kid from, from uh, the dub that's going to, that was, you know, had a really good year in the American Hockey League. Uh, Dumoulin that comes in and he's a guy that can, you know, either him or Breakers or third pair defenseman. They, their top nine forwards all return. Um, your third line, you got to replace a little bit, but they'll go with Cartier who was up last year and and i don't know if shane wright will be on the team or not but they really you know it's funny i just talking to somebody this they really didn't do anything there's no splash moves yeah um i i guess you could make an argument that health wise you know they could be better but i i don't know man it's i i i like the team i'm and by no means am i being negative you know when you return your top nine guys from a playoff team and your top and five of your top six defensemen from a playoff team you get some depth in goaltending because, you know, Drieger will be back, and they got Decord, who played really well last year. So, I mean, they got three solid net miners, and we saw what Grubauer did last year. They're a good hockey team. They're a solid hockey team, and they just they really didn't need to do much. 
Can Susie be more than a third pair guy? I like him. I, you know, he was an interesting guy down here. I, for whatever reason, uh, you know, some of the so-called hockey experts, and I don't know if we have many down here, but, but, uh, there was, a, there was a lot of negativity towards him at times. He's a risk reward guy. He'll make a play and then he'll make another play for the other team. Right? Like there's, you know, like we, you kind of joke with Susie when he's on the ice, like something's going to happen one way or the other. And, and, I like him. I think he's got an upside. Um, I think, you know, with what they had here, um, he just, he was in a log jam. He wasn't going anywhere. You know, they were, you know, I mean, with, with their, you know, I mean, the Dunn, Dunn Larson, Borg and Alexiak, that top, those top two pairs were so solid. Um, you know, he was paired with Schultz a good chunk of the year. And, and that was a good, that was a good combo offensively. And, um, you know, Carson would every now and then he'd, he'd make a play, kind of head scratching play. But I think there's an upside to him. I really do. I, I, he didn't get any power play time down here. I think there's an offensive side of his game that we could see on occasion. I, I think he's a good player. Um, I just and, and you know what? Sometimes you just sometimes you need to go and move on. Um, and probably for him, with with Evans on his way up, and so, and you know they now their draft picks are starting to get a little older from a couple of years. Uh, someone was going to be the odd guy out, and they weren't going to pay him. Like if if he would have not been a free agent, uh, he'd be back and he'd be. They wouldn't have. They'd make no changes. They wouldn't have gone out and signed the kid, the, the veteran from from Pittsburgh, and um, you know, and Evans would be your seventh defenseman this year. So I, I think there's something there for him. Expectations for Shane Wright this season. Great unknown. It's a great unknown. Um, you know, they're trying to find a way around the American Hockey League loophole. He played as a 15-year-old in the O. Um, and then, obviously, the Ontario League, unlike the Western League, didn't play at all during the COVID year. So, uh, 20, what, 2020, 2021. Uh, and that's not his fault, but that would have been the year that would have allowed him to have played enough years in junior to play as an underage in the American League. So, they're trying to get through that because I think they want him to play in the American League. I don't... I don't know if he's, you know, and, and he'll get nothing from playing in juniors. Like he's done that, been there, he's been there too long. Um, I th- if they can't get the loophole done with the American League, then then he'll be with the big club. Um, you know, Haxtell loves having a solid fourth line, so I don't. I think he could play fourth line, but I, I don't know what they'll do in that regard. When he was playing with the Kraken last year, though, for a you know a spell before they. They moved him, and before he went to World Juniors, he never looked out of place. I didn't think. I, I thought he looked fine. I thought he, you know. But again, he loves that fourth line. That's like you go back to what they did. Their fourth line was so good last year, guys. I mean, they had basically four guys playing on the fourth line, and and they all scored, and they all made a kind of contribution. You know, with uh, you know, with Sprong and Donato, uh, Geeky. You know, for the most part, Geeky ended up going up higher when with, with the injuries, but. Um, but I think they'd like, you know, I think they'd like him to be in the American League to start and and see what he can do. He didn't. He had a pretty quiet AHL playoffs. He, in the Calder Cup playoffs, he was pretty quiet. In fact, he was playing third, fourth line in the in the AHL playoffs. That doesn't scream like a guy that's going to come up and step in right away and play for you in the in, with the big club. But uh, um, and I think the hard thing with him, you know, Beniers is drafted where he is, comes in rookie of the year, spectacular year, and I think there's expectations for Shane by some that are probably unrealistic because they're just different players, completely different players. But 
you know, he's going to be a good, solid player. And if you're one, two, or Beneers and, and right down the road, that's a pretty good top two centerman. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.